Hello, and welcome to episode seven, all about chapters nine and 10 of Fellowship of the Ring, being the seventh part of That's What I'm Talking About. Clay, just call me MC. I'm done with it. I'm over it. And today I'm joined by Sydney, aka Books of Kings on Instagram, the Bookstagrams, as as the kids <laughs> these days call it. Welcome, Sydney. Hi, thanks for having me. I uh for uh listeners, Sydney has been like following along this Lord of the Rings reading journey, like since I announced the podcast and I've gotten so many like nice comments and messages and everything from her as I've been going through. And now I'm excited to have her on for these chapters because boy, howdy, do things get going in these chapters. (laughs) So did you start reading Lord of the Rings just now or are you rereading the series? So this is actually my first time reading them. Uh, I grew up with the movies and my father had read the books apparently at one point, but he loved the movies. So I'd seen them at least twice a year, every year it felt like. So I know the stories, but I had never read the book. I read The Hobbit, I think during my internship at my job a couple of years ago. And then when this was announced through Bacon and Eggs, I was like, all right, I've been meaning to read these books. Why not? And then I never do anything half-baked, so I finished the first book in two days through the audiobook. (laughs) Nice. Now, important question. Which audiobook version did you listen to? The Audible one, Rob Inglis. Oh, okay. I don't have Audible, so I don't have that one. I have one that um, I got for free somehow online that children, you should not do. (laughs) Do as I say and not as I do. Yeah, I already had the fellowship through an Audible credit I had used a while ago, so I already even just had it downloaded. It was like, oh, okay, nice. I just need to press play. Yeah, it's like the the virtual TBR list. My my bookshelves are a vast majority of books that I've bought, and then they just sit there for several years. I have one specific shelf that is just unread book. Yeah, and then they yeah. get to be graduated Same. to join their brethren on the red shelf. Yes, I remember talking to someone, Hopefully. and it's. Oh, I keep my series together, even like the read and unread. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I need to have my unread. Yeah, that's the one place where I have to keep the things separate. Like I I don't sort by color. I don't know how people do that because I have to keep my series together. (laughs) But I need, I like having my unread books in their own place. So then it's a giant pile. Yeah, I love hearing how different people organize their bookshelves. And like, cause for me, I try, let's see, I try and I have new kind of newer bookshelves where in my new apartment than at my house, but I would like organize them by genre and then like, or vague genre. And then I would like within the shelf of that genre, organize it by height and then maybe color. I'm insane, but... <laughs> so I call mine organized chaos. Yes, it's that's kind it. of by height because there are certain young adult books that are all significantly taller than the rest. Yeah. So like it's kind of genre, kind of height. The only thing mostly is author series. So there is like this one thing in YA where it's like been a bunch of DC superheroes. It's called like the DC icon series, but it's a different author for each one. So it's like, okay... Is it by author or is it by the series? Yeah. That is where I'm like, okay, nope, you're just all going to be together. This is the superhero book. Yeah, gotcha. I I have an entire section that's just books that make me look smart by owning them. <laughs> so like, I have like some random copies saved of different Shakespeare plays from when I had like a Shakespeare class in college. I have like Great Gatsby Uh, Which I actually do like Great Gatsby. That one's real. Um, I have like, I don't know, Lord of the Flies is up there. I think there's like a Huckleberry Finn. Honestly, it's also a lot of books that like we borrowed the books in high school English class and then I forgot to return them. And they didn't make you return them at the end of the year? My, My 11th grade English teacher, God bless her, we were awful to her. And I think she was just happy to get... She was not the most put together of women, probably due to us horrible students. 
Um, <laughs> and so I don't think she was like at all concerned about the fact that, oh, Mary Clay has not returned her copy of Huckleberry Finn. Let me go track her down. I think she was like, I just want these kids out of here. <laughs> Who cares about Huckleberry Finn? So for me, the I returned all the books that they gave me, but there was two books that I liked them so much while we were reading them. I immediately went to the bookstore and bought my own copy. So I was oh, wow. like, I need, I want my own copy. So I got Pride and Prejudice that way and Jane Eyre. Man, I really, I, I almost want to do like a spinoff podcast where we just talk about like books that, that like you read in high school. Cause for me, reading in high school was a not great experience. There were like two or three books that I remember being like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. And then most of the other books I either A, didn't finish, B, mostly read the spark notes, or C, just have very strong negative feelings about like, oh my gosh, this was so pointless. I totally get the feeling. And it was all a metaphor. I'm looking at you, old man in the sea. And it's interesting, like, to hear how, like, different high schools yeah. had different reading lists. Yeah. Like, in my high school, I don't think, like, Pride and Prejudice... No, Pride and Prejudice was a book that we read. It was... Well, let me rephrase that. It was a book that my class was supposed to read, and I skimmed. <laughs> and then I don't think we read Jane Eyre. Like, there's a lot of books that... I never read from, like, I. the only reason I've read To Kill a Mockingbird is because I chose it for a book report mm. on something. Like, it wasn't an English class that assigned it. Anyway, we could <laughs> sit here talking all day about other books, but let's talk this about book. this one specific book. <laughs> um, and first, we're going to start off with a question from Instagram. Okay, this is from Jackanape underscore um, Yaya. Let's let's go with that. This is from Jack Coleman, and he asked, if you had, or she, I don't know. I'm not going to presume. And they ask, if you had to cast the role of Tom Bombadil in a hypothetical adaptation, who would play Ooh. him? Actually, the first person that comes to mind is, I want to say his name is Mark Williams. It's whoever played Arthur Weasley. <gasps> so I can just see, like, he would, would get great. so into that. Yeah, he would be great because he's already kind of, you know, we've already seen him as a kind of like bumbling, excitable person. So we can kind of imagine him being a very excitable, like larger than life, I don't know, woodland Yeah, I could just creature. see him being like getting so into it too. Yeah. His first introduction, just that morning, Weasleys. He's yes. got the voice. <laughs> Oh, yes, exactly. Um, I don't know. I feel like I would sit like one of those actors who is so adaptable that you're like, wait a minute, there's no way this person has played all of those roles. Oh, I don't know how it would work, but maybe Stanley Tucci. Oh, crap. <laughs> would be amazing. Just because, like, imagine him as, like, the amount of, like, gusto that he put into, like, for example, his his role as Caesar Flickerman in oh, the Hunger yes, Games exactly movies. exactly what Ima I thought of. Imagine that as, like, imagine him putting that much energy into Pom Tom Bombadil. That would be so yeah, I good. Mean, I don't know, remember how much description there is for Tom, because there's really not a lot of description for a lot of them except, like, height-wise. Like, the little yeah. people, the taller people. All right, exactly. well, just pick yeah. a taller person, and there you go, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yeah, as long as yeah. he's got the hat. I think they talked about the hat multiple times in those older chapters, and that was it. Yeah, they describe him. I mean, I don't necessarily think that Stanley Tucci looks like him. I kind of picture Tom Bombadil to be this shorter, stouter, older man, and he has a really rosy face. And I, I feel like Stanley Tucci would be up for that transformation. So Yeah, and I think even if anything, you just give him a couple of years, get him a little older. I mean, <laughs> the way they describe Tom, he's one of the more ancient beings, so he could easily be in this Amazon series. Oh my gosh. Oh, that I hadn't even thought about like what he would look like in the Amazon series. Because I think they said like the Amazon series is like year, like way out, like way earlier. Oh yeah. Like they just like a couple weeks ago just announced who is working on the, on the series. Like not even like, oh, here's the cast. It was yeah. just like, here are, the, here are the writers and the producers and everything. And it looks like they have an insane teams assembled like a wide variety of people who worked on like the original lord of the rings movies and then there are some other like fantasy tv series people and then there's tolkien experts hopefully fingers crossed it turns out good yeah i think they needed i think they want to do homage to tolkien as well as they understand this is what we're up against not the animated stuff but peter jackson's movie yes yeah 
And it's, I also think it shouldn't be like, oh, we're going to completely redo the movies and this is how it should have been in the first place. I think it's just the series can be looked at like, this is just another expression of Lord of the Rings and you can still enjoy the movies and the series and both can be good. Oh, yeah. So thank you so much, Jack Coleman. I won't say your underscore or your, I won't say your username again, because I won't put myself through that again. But if you want to submit a question for us to chat about, you can send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into what I describe as the most, I don't even know, controversial, most feelings, multiple conflicted feelings-inducing chapters of the book so far. And let's start off with chapter nine, At the Sign of the Prancing Pony, which I still cannot believe is the name of a chapter that Tolkien wrote. It just seems very silly. I think it fits with the rest. That is true. Oh, yeah, in the House of Tom, a shortcut true, to the yeah. They're all very literal. Like, this is what's next. Yeah. So we start off with, yet again, another history lesson from Tolkien, which I'm getting a little tired of. There's just so much history that I think is appreciated. And it's nice to have these like pieces of background information. But at the same time, I feel like if Tolkien were to publish these books nowadays, the editor or the publisher or whoever would be like, um, these are fun bits of information, but it doesn't really add to the plot. And it makes the books 10 times longer. So we're going to take yeah, it out. it would be like an appendices or here, this is your extra bonus content, the world of Tolkien. Oh, 100% if he had published these and had taken out the pieces of history, he would have done what JK Rowling did and released those like, quote unquote, Hogwarts textbooks that are like, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, sure. There's one that's like Quidditch Through the Ages. And Hogwarts A History. Yeah, and that one, yeah. Like he 100% would have done like little mini textbook releases. So, But he didn't. And, and what we're left with is a lot of history that I don't necessarily think we need to know. All I remember from the first couple, from the first section of chapter nine is that I laughed at the first line, which says Bree was the chief village of the Bree land, which... Just seems kind of obvious to me. Yeah, I know right at the beginning is also you finally start hearing about the rangers. Yeah, like, I guess, is that just his general term for wandering people? Or is it like a specific type of people? Is it like mysterious cloaked travelers? Or I think it's more of the type of people just because it gives them that extra lore of they're taller and darker. And they believe to have... Strange powers. Yeah. Which we'll get to that kind of in a couple pages. So they, yeah. So after this brief history lesson, we once again are given a lot of directions, which is another gripe that I have, is that I cannot for the life of me ever follow along with where they are. He gives so many different, like, he'll say like, oh, they were northwest of Rivendell and, and southwest of the Withywindle and northeast of of Crick Hollow. And I'm like, I don't know where any of these places are. I don't, I, I can't locate them. We haven't been to these, a lot of these places yet. I don't know where you are. All I know is you're at the Prancing Pony in Breeland. So they meet a man at the gate and I don't know why, but I had this inkling. Oh wait, well, let me back up first. Um, I can't remember if that's, if it's at the start of this chapter or the end of last chapter, but Frodo makes a point to say, my name is not Baggins, it's Underhill. And they're all like, cool, gotcha. So then they go along and they get to a gate and I don't know why, but I was imagining some kind of like Monty Python like guard who's just, it just seems like he's asking, I don't know, he's, Asking them a lot of questions when they're just like, can we, can we please just go in? And he's like, oh, we don't see a lot of Shire folk here. What are you doing here? And they're like, can we, can you, can you just open up the doors, please? Like, we're, we're just trying to get in All here. I can picture now is the French people from Holy Grail. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a better image. <laughs> yeah, so I thought at first that he was just going to be like the least helpful guard ever. And he was just going to keep asking them endless questions. 
But he does make a point. He says, it's my business to ask questions after nightfall, which given all that we know about all the trouble that has started and everything that's following them and the dark creatures and dangers they've encountered, I think that's a fair point to ask, who are you and why are you here? So they get in and as they are leaving... It's a, or there, so the hobbits have walked in and the man is leaving the gates. And then it says, the man stared after the hobbits for a moment. And then he went back to his house. As soon as his back was turned, a dark figure climbed quickly over the gate and melted into the shadows of the village street, which at first I literally went like, because I was like, oh my God, it's a dark rider. It's a rider. And he's stealthily sneaked in. And I'm just, I was just imagining whatever this person or figure to be, to be like slithering and sneaking their way around. And they're just like skulking in the darkness and so creepy. But that's, I don't know, foreshadowing or something for things later to come. So they come to the Prancing Pony, the iconic, famous Prancing Pony, which I guess I've seen it in a lot of other. Is this like, I guess, is it, first of all, is the Prancing Pony in the movies or anything? Because, okay, because for whatever reason, I've seen it, like, I kind of knew about the Prancing Pony beforehand because I've seen it a lot in terms of like fandom stuff online or just like scrolling through Instagram or or something. So, like, is this like famous within like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings? I don't know about famous. I mean, it's been a few years since I've been on Tumblr, so I don't know Lord of the Rings fandom meme wise, at least their posts. But I know it's in the movie, but in actually, because. Tom Bombadil's not, they had to kind of get the name of, go to this specific inn from a different character. And I think it was that Gandalf said, I'll meet you at the Prancing Pony. Okay. It's like, make make for Bree and I'll meet you there. Oh, that's so different from what happens. <laughs> from what happens yeah, here. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Gandalf's not helpful at all in the book. Because from what I've, yeah, from what I've heard, Tom Bombadil is, yeah, so Tom Bombadil is not in the movie, so that means they had to have, so I watched the first movie a couple years ago, and I, like, barely remember what happened. If they cut Tom Bombadil out, I'm assuming they cut out a lot of, like, the old forest, or maybe they just shortened it a lot. For them to have done that, I I guess it it makes sense for why they would have, like, written this plot device of, like, yeah, Gandalf, it was totally in Gandalf's plan for them to go to the Prancing Pony, and this is exactly what Gandalf meant. Yeah, so he just kind of was like, just leave, get going. That's what I've also, I remember noticing that almost immediately reading the book, that they leave a lot earlier of Frodo gets ring and Yeah, um... My uh, guest for the previous episode and I were talking about how it looks like in the so in the books, so much time passes between Gandalf giving him the ring or like Bilbo leaving and leaving the ring with Frodo and then Gandalf coming back and being like, hey, this ring is evil. And in the movies, it's like it, it feels like only 20 minutes has passed because Gandalf is like, so here's the ring Bilbo left you. And then there's like a cut to something else. And then the scenic shot of the Shire. And then it comes back and Gandalf is like, so actually this ring is evil and now you have to get going. And things get going so much faster in the movie, which obviously makes sense if it's a movie. You can't have just like, because if it was, if the movie was equivalent to the book, the first half of it would be them well, The walking. first third would just be killing time because it's yeah. like Frodo has it for 17 years. Exactly, yeah. So they get to the Prancing Pony and they meet um, <laughs> probably... At first I was like, this is, a, this is a fun character. I like him. Boy, do my feelings change later on. They meet Barlamin Butterbur, which for some reason I can... My brain just always substitutes Butterbur with Butterbeer. So... I might end up referring to him as Butterbeer throughout the rest of this episode, and I apologize for that. But that's just where my brain is right now. And he is... Someone on Instagram messaged me when I was reading this chapter and said, this character is the the human representation of, like, ADHD. 
And at first I was like, oh, no, he's just scatterbrained and he's busy and he's fun. No, he is the actual representation of ADHD. He cannot remember anything. He cannot focus on anything. He is just all over the place, off the wall. He's super eccentric. Oh, and I should I should, I should, should add that I understand that that's not actually an accurate representation of ADHD. And apologies to anyone listening who actually does have ADHD and manages it. I understand that people who have ADHD do not actually act like that. So that is my B. But anyway, to, what's, what's his name? Barlamin Butterbur. That's just, man, these alliterative, alliterative names are going to get me at one point. I'm going to forget uh, all of them. He's a side character. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's hope he just remains a side character, because if he comes back, I don't want him. So they ask him if there are any rooms for four hobbits, and he's like, matter of fact, we have four rooms especially made for hobbits, which I think is cute and also weird. So does that mean that like those rooms just go unused for the better part of the existence of the prancing pony? Because I can't imagine that a lot that they see a lot of hobbits. I or... think probably when the inn was originally built, it might have gotten used just because how part of like that history lesson, it's the Bree folk are made up of hobbits and man, and that there's like Bree is like a melting pot of everyone comes through but i think when the shire folk used to be a lot more adventurous because it says like they now seldom visit it and it could be like oh well the hobbits that live here if they have guests and can't put them up themselves because maybe they have really big families it's being able to accommodate all peoples and the hobbits are creatures of comfort and just what their type thing what what they're used to is maybe not the type of room that man would yeah. use. Yeah, and Sam actually, before they even get to the inn, is like, um, do we have to stay there? I'd rather stay somewhere that's a little more cozy. Don't you think we can find, you know, some other hobbits who live here and just, you know, knock on their door and see if they'll let us in? Which, like, oh, poor Sam. Just pure naive Sam. He's like, let's just go ask around and maybe they'll take us in. So they, yeah, they get the rooms and they have dinner and then Butterface, what's his name? <laughs> Butterbur. Butterbur is like, oh, we'd love for you to join us in the, in the bar. Come join us and after your dinner. And Pippin, Frodo, and Sam are like, yeah, let's go. And Mary does exactly what I would do and is like, nah, I'm a I'm a pass on that one. I'm going to hang out here. Y'all have fun with all those strangers. He's such a dad, though, with what he's saying. Oh, my gosh. So Mind your P's and Q's. Yes. Let me just read this. Because Mary, given what happens next in the chapter, Mary could not have been there. Like, if Mary had been with them, none of what followed would have happened. Because he says... I shall sit here quietly by the fire for a bit and perhaps go out later for a sniff of the air. Mind your P's and Q's and don't forget that you are supposed to be escaping in secret and are still on the high road and not very far from the Shire. So basically, Mary is like, hey, sure, go get drunk with a bunch of strangers. Never mind the fact that we're supposed to be inconspicuous and hiding and there are these evil people after us and this isn't a safe haven but sure go get drunk have fun but it's probably also like oh this is then gonna help keep an alias of we're just common travelers though true yeah so it's kind of the oh we're passing through town why not come and also enjoy the company yeah. But it is kind of like if Mary had been there. Oh my gosh. The chain of events, the chain of, yeah, the domino effect would not have happened. Yeah. He, oh, God bless Mary. Or he would have just Mary. been as drunk as the rest of us. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? So they get there and everyone's asking him lots of questions. And it's kind of a little bit um, nerve wracking at one point because. Frodo is going by the name Underhill, and there are actually several Underhills at the bar with them and they're like oh no way where do the underhills live in the shire and they're asking him all these questions and frodo gives this explanation for why they are there which i just think is funny so it says he gave out that he was interested in history and geography at which there was much wagging of the heads although neither of these words were used much in breed dialect he said he was thinking of of writing a book at which there was silent astonishment and just the note that 
He's interested in history and geography, at which there is much wagging of heads. That's exactly how I am reading these books or reading Fellowship of the Ring. Whenever he makes a point, whenever Tolkien talks about history or geography, I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. Flip page, go to the next part. (laughs) And Frodo kind of does what I probably would also do in this situation. And he eventually kind of steps back. Sam and Pippin are having a good time. And he notices a mysterious figure. Ooh, who's just kind of sitting off by his own watching. He had a tall tankard in front of him and was smoking a long-stemmed pipe curiously carved. His legs were stretched out before him, showing high boots of supple leather that fitted him well but had seen much wear and were now caked with mud. A travel-stained cloak of heavy dark green cloth was drawn close about him, and in spite of the heat of the room, he wore a hood that overshadowed his face, but the gleam of his eyes could be seen as he watched the hobbits. And this, we find out, is a fellow called Strider. Yes. And I'm just so excited to share this image that I have in my head. The fact, I don't, I, I, For whatever reason, my brain, when I read the phrase supple leather describing his boots, my brain immediately went to picturing him wearing like thigh-high leather boots. (laughs) Just the use of the word supple. But it is actually interesting. We don't get a lot of like true, like this is what people look like, but the movie nailed this introduction. Is he wearing thigh-high boots? Maybe not thigh-high, but it's just like this dark corner, just like slightly lit by candles. You just see this like ominous, but not just mysterious dark figure in the hood. And it's like, "Mm, perfect. Yeah. And at first I'm like, okay, that's immediately someone we should avoid. And of course, Frodo being Frodo, he kind of goes over and strikes up a conversation. Well, first butter beer, butter burr. (laughs) That wasn't even intentional that time. Butter burr. Is like, yeah, he's this mysterious fellow who kind of comes and goes, but he hasn't, we don't know much about him. And then, surprise, surprise, Butterbur gets distracted and goes off doing something else before he can fill him in on any other information. So Frodo and Strider strike up a conversation, and we kind of once again get this impression that he, Strider, knows more than maybe an average stranger would or we get this impression that this inkling that he knows about the ring and he's exactly where he is supposed to be right now and he oh yeah like yeah he knows what's going on strider's got that yeah i know everything yeah exactly exactly but he's trying to be be sneaky about it I'm the mysterious all-knowing figure exactly oh that's exactly him and meanwhile who is it? Is it Pippin? It's Pippin. Of course. <laughs> I love that disgruntled it's Pippin. The ridiculous young Duke. God. So Pippin, once again, this is why Mary could not be here during this part of the chapter because he would have stopped Pippin or like he and Pippin would have been up to their own antics or whatever. Pippin starts loudly telling the tale of Bilbo's infamous 11D first or whatever it was birthday where he threw the big party and then disappeared using the ring and hasn't been seen since. And he starts telling it very wildly and very, he's probably drunk at this point. And Frodo is just sitting there like this dumb. (laughs) Like, uh, he's yeah. And, so Frodo was annoyed. It was a harmless enough tale for most of the local hobbits, no doubt. Just a funny story about those funny people away beyond the river. But for some knew a thing or two and had probably heard rumors long ago about Bilbo's vanishing. It would bring the name of Bagginses to their minds, especially if there had been inquiries in Bree after that name. So Frodo's like, this is bad. This is bad. And then once again, this is where Strider jumps in and is we're like, yeah, he clearly knows more than you would think a skulking, mysterious Random figure dude. would know and says, you have to do something quick. You have to stop this. And Frodo jumps up on the table <laughs> and starts singing. <laughs> um, which oh. just reminds me when, I don't know, I feel like it's this joke or this trope or whatever in teen sitcoms or something when someone needs to, something is happening and someone needs to cause a distraction. And so a different character does something like, 
wildly insane. And it's just like the most like secondhand embarrassment, like cringy thing you could possibly do. It's like, really? That's, that's what you thought of to stop all of this? You couldn't have come up with something better? It's requiring that quick thinking, like quick, do something. Yeah. Uh, uh. Hey, look at me! Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a joke about that in Spider-Verse, where it's like after he gets, after Miles Morales gets his powers, the like security guard comes over and is like, what are you doing? And you can see Miles's like thoughts oh. going on. And he's like, he's like, just say something. The security guard thinks you're dumb. And Miles is like, uh, I was just hanging out in that closet. And then his thought bubble goes like, not that dumb. No, I think it's who's Morales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's that's like, right. Yeah. Morales, what are you doing? Who's Morales? Oh, yeah. Not that dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. And then there's another, there's a comic strip of Spider-Man. Someone catches him holding like the, or Peter Parker holding the bag of Spider-Man stuff. And it says like, quick, act on instincts, act on instincts. And then it's like, instincts. Chucks it out the window. Yeah, it's like, instincts not working. Instincts, instincts are not working. Quick, do something. <laughs> then he throws it out the window and goes, instincts bad, instincts <laughs> bad. Nope, bad. <laughs> So he jumps up and kind of gives a thank you all for wel- for welcoming us here. And then everyone, that gets everyone's attention. And then they're all just kind of silently staring at him. And I'm imagining that thing where like it pans across the bar and everyone's quiet and looking up at him. And you hear like a couple glasses clinking in the background. And then that thing where like someone kind of like coughs lightly in the background and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just silence and everyone's looking mm-hmm. at him. And then he goes into the longest song yet oh my God. in the book. <laughs> you said you were listening to the audiobook of this. Oh, I don't think I knew it was going to be that long. It's long. The first time. It's so long. See, I'm so happy I listened to the audiobooks because all these songs, I'm like, I would have skipped all of that. Like all of Tom Bombadil's songs, I would have been like, nah, I ain't about that. Yeah, I skimmed a lot of the songs. <laughs> yeah, I'll skim it to see like, okay, are there any like possible hints that are being dropped here? Is it foreshadowing? What's happening here? Is something going to crop up later? And I'll be able to come back at the song and be like, ooh. But this just seems like so. a fun Hobbit folk song that... I can't remember. Yeah, it says Bilbo was fond of singing it. So Frodo knows it. And it's basically about like, what is it? The silver. What's the. The The man in the the, moon. There's the like mother goose tale of like the spoon and the dish and the moon. Yeah, I don't know. There's the cow jumping. I know there's the cow jumping over the moon, but I swear there's some like mother goose thing of it's her nursery tale like her nursery rhyme god it has something to do with dishes it's a silver spoon and a dish a plate and then the moon i don't know <laughs> there's something we're in a way with a fiddle that's it that's it yeah yeah just it's the vegas of like yeah, so, like yeah something's jumping over something something's playing another thing there's a moon someone's <laughs> running away yeah and um, they all finish and they're all clapping and everyone's like, oh, that was so fun again, again. And then I'm not sure exactly like what happens here if he, if Frodo is He's like. He's getting too into the song. Yeah, that's it. He's getting into the crowd. It says he okay. jumps in the air at the cow jumped over the moon. That's it. A little too vigorously lands wrong yes falls into butterburst stuff that's it a tray full of mugs yeah that's it so he is probably a little tipsy and he trips and makes a huge mess of this and everyone's laughing probably probably only like partially laughing at him but i imagine everyone's just like this is fun what a fun time i wish these hobbit folk came around more often frodo is so embarrassed that he puts the ring on Dun, dun, no, it just falls. It just—he's just gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it does. Yeah, he doesn't know how he yeah, got. Yeah, it doesn't on. say he put the ring on, but it, yeah, it says everyone was looking over to the singer, and suddenly he was gone, and everyone starts whispering, and then later, like Frodo reappears, like in the hallway, and Frodo makes a note of like, I don't remember putting on the ring. I don't remember that happening. And he also is like, yeah, it was just an accident. I guess it accidentally fell on. My hand was in my pocket and I fell. It was an accident. Sure. Well, what I find really interesting is you're starting to get the foreshadowing of the ring has a mind of its own. Because before it, before the song, it he resisted the temptation and clasped the ring in his hand as if to keep a hold on it. 
and prevent it from escaping or doing any mischief, as if it's its own kid on a leash. It's like, no, get back here. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, he took it off. He could only suppose that he'd been handling it in his pocket and somehow slipped on to his hand. For a moment, he wondered if the ring itself had not played him a trick. Perhaps it had tried to reveal itself in response to some wish or command that was felt in the room. Ooh. So it's like you're getting this like idea that like Frodo is starting to catch on that this is not just jewelry. Like not just that Gandalf told me this is like this thing's a big deal and it's evil, but it almost has a mind of its own. Yeah. And Strider calls him out on it and sees through the act basically and sees Frodo after he has the after he's non-invisible after he's visible again I guess and is like you're you sure are making a mess of things and Frodo goes I don't know what you mean (laughs) he's like yeah when I said to go stop your friend I didn't say to make things work yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and and now we find out that Strider knows that this is Frodo or we he knows that it's Baggins at least and Frodo's like Fine, I'll come talk to you later about whatever you clearly already know. And then he comes back, and meanwhile, there's some argument going on about where Frodo disappeared to. And then he's like, here I am! And rather than Frodo's trying to, like, play it off as a joke and everything, and people are kind of, like, a little weirded out by it. And, like, some of them, like, back away from him, and some of them leave. And a lot of a lot of the people are like, that wasn't really a good joke. They're they're very unnerved by what happened. And I think that is once again like showing to the tell like telling to the power of the ring that it's this dark object that people that even people who they don't know about they don't know that he used the ring and they don't know about the ring, but just I don't know, it's like it's like it's almost like secondhand smoking. It's like secondhand ring. <laughs> like the people who are around it could were not happy with it and they were like "Mm, let's call it a night maybe yeah it kind of also just like ended the fun it was like well yeah exactly that wasn't cool all right well i guess it's kind of late yeah see you later um yes so yeah it basically ends the fun and ends the night and butterbur and strider and everyone are like all right now's a good time to talk and then we go into Chapter 10, Strider. Strider. (laughs) I just want to scream this entire time. This chapter has the best quote. So Strider's talking to him and asks for the hobbits to tell him everything that's been going on and what they've been up to and what they are there for. And in exchange, he will come with them or something like that. Um, or yeah, take the me reward with for that. Yeah, basically. And they're like, well, how can we trust you? And Strider is finally like the responsible parental figure that this group desperately needs. <laughs> Up until this point, it really feels like the hobbits have been just little kids stumbling around. Almost like the Jimmy Neutron movie where like all the parents disappear and it's just the kids and they're like, we're eating cookies for dinner and- I'm eating ice cream. Yeah. Again. And then there's the one kid who's like, my clothes don't match, my clothes don't match. I'm out in public and my clothes don't match. Oh, that scene is the funniest. It feels like that same energy basically of like watching these children stumble through this old forest and they don't have any idea of what they're doing or where they're going and they are being as not smart as they can get like just not having a lot of common sense and then finally here comes strider who is like yes i will come and i will rescue you all basically from your from i'm going to save your you own from carelessness yes <laughs> and he starts asking them he's he basically points out and is like you guys need to be more careful and frodo says if you're telling us to be more careful, but you're also telling us to take you in, I don't know how I feel about that. And Strider goes, you seem to be coming to your senses again, and that is all to the good. You have been much too careless so far. So Strider is like, yes, finally. Thank you for being a little bit suspicious of of me, as you should be. It's almost like he's like giving them a test. Like he's testing yes. them. Like, okay, yes. you've been through this much. You need to realize, hey... There is crap going on. Yeah. You seriously need to wisen up and be wary. Yeah, it's not playtime anymore. And this is when we find out that 
Strider had overheard the hobbits before they walked into the town and overheard Frodo saying, I am not Baggins here. Call me Underhill. Which, again, it's just like, come on, hobbits. Like, be a little bit better about, like, where you decide to have your secret meetings or whatever. Like, maybe just look around you before you decide to, like, divulge personal information or a secret or something. Because Strider overheard that. And we find out that he had been waiting, basically, for some hobbit named Baggins And so he follows them into the town and climbs over the gate. And so that's when we find out that apparently the note in chapter nine about how after they had left and the guard went into his house again, a dark figure slipped over the gate and into the shadows again. Apparently this was Strider. And as so let me read my note because my thought process completely changed as I was literally writing this. And I said, I definitely thought the dark shadow... I gasped that in chapter nine was a writer. Wait, is Strider a writer? Nah, that'd be that'd be too easy. Or yeah, is it? Too easy. <laughs> I was like, hmm, Strider, writer. And then I was like, nah, Tolkien, Tolkien wouldn't. He not that on the nose. He thinks better of his readers than I think a lot of authors think. Like he doesn't, he doesn't think his readers are dumb. Basically, like he knows that his readers are smart, and so he's writing a smart story. And that, yeah. So I love that Strider basically like stalked the hobbits just to prove a point to them that they are being as reckless as they could be. And he basically like follows them and eventually talks to them just to point out like, hey, y'all need to be more careful. Here's an example of how you should have been careful, but you weren't. Point A, I overheard that your real name is Baggins. Point B, I was able to follow you here without you noticing me. Point C, like... (laughs) Yeah, but he even points out really early on, though, like, I have good ears and I have ways of being unseen if I wish. Yeah. The one person that would have the ability to hunt and stalk and be a super secret FBI spy... Is the one that overheard them. Yeah, which it's only in the luck of the hobbits that, like, this guy is on their side. Because if it had been a bad guy, they would have been done for. Which he points out. Like, Sam is like, how can we know to trust you? Or one of them says, like, how can we trust you? And he's like, well, I would have killed you by now if I wanted to kill you. And they're like, hmm, true, true. And Sam does make a good point here. He says, we need to be, he says, you're right. I agree with you that we need to be more careful going forward and we need to be more cautious and thoughtful. That being said, I don't know how I feel about trusting this dark, mysterious stranger. And that doesn't exactly like scream being cautious. And Strider's like, yes, I understand. However, you will die without me. Yeah, he's like, here, this is what will happen if you don't take me. Here's what you'll do. Here's my advice of what you should do. It's still not going to work. You need me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like, this is what's going to happen. He described, he like talks about how, about the Dark Riders and where they actually come from. And they're from Mordor, which I know nothing about Mordor, except that you, one does not simply walk into it. And that it's, I guess, the source of the evil beings in in this series. Um, basically, like, scares the hobbits into agreeing to take him onto their their team, their hiking team. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. So, then, boy howdy, <laughs> we get into <laughs> the moment that I have never in my life, like, even reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and reading, like, Umbridge, who is, like, the most vile character I think ever written and has made me feel... It's amazing how J.K. Rowling was able to write that character in such a, like, lively, descriptive way that made me feel such hatred and frustration. I have never felt so frustrated and annoyed and just done as with these next couple of pages. So, Butterbeer, Butterbert, <laughs> box him and says, oh, that reminds me. 
God, I hate this. It's funny that we now all know that your name is Baggins because I was actually supposed to be looking out for a guy, a hobbit named Baggins. And I figured you were him. And Frodo says, well, how did you know I was Baggins? Butterbur says, oh, well, you fit the description. And Frodo's like, what description? And that he was told that Baggins would be going by the name of Underhill. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That which we'll get to in a second. Gosh. So first, tr- this is a this is a small win right here because we get our first ever description of Frodo <laughs> on chat on page. <laughs> this is page 166 of my copy. We are over a hundred pages into this book, and we have just now gotten our description of the main character. So, which isn't even a good description, by the way. Oh no! So here we go. Not. A stout little fellow with red cheeks. That won't help you much. It goes for most hobbits. But this one is taller than some and fairer than most. And he has a cleft in his chin, perky chap with a bright eye. (laughs) We know that Frodo is a little bit paler than some of the hobbits, which we don't know what their norm, we don't know what the hobbit's skin tone is to begin with. So it's a useless comparison. Uh, He's a little bit taller than regular hobbits, which all we know is that hobbits are small. So again, kind of a useless comparison. So the only thing that we have that really describes Frodo is that he has a cleft in his chin and his eyes are bright. I'm starting to think, and I just confirmed it with my book, that they're expecting you to have read The Hobbit. I'm sure. I think that's where you get even more history lesson on Hobbit. Yeah. And you're introduced to Bilbo, and I think with your introduction to Hobbit, you get, this is kind of a general of what they look like. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you've read The Hobbit. You know what Bilbo looked like. So just imagine him, but younger. But Uh. again, so... Again, like if these books had been published now. So one thing that, for example, in the Harry Potter books that J.K. Rowling did every single book, usually if you were reading like Prisoner of Azkaban or Goblet of Fire, you had already read the previous books, but she still always described like, Harry was a boy wizard. His parents were killed by Voldemort. He has a lightning scar. He has black, messy hair. He wears glasses. He's skinny. Like, these very basic things that, like, I think are necessary. I mean, obviously, Tolkien... There's this family of gingers. Tolkien didn't deem it necessary to describe what Frodo looks like, but we know the history of Bree land. So, potato, potato. So, three cheers for our first vague description of Frodo. Yay. And then it goes hard left turn (laughs) and we find out that Gandalf had visited the Prancing Pony and spoke to Butterbur many many months ago I just had to like pause every couple of sentences just to write a note and I wrote in all caps Gandalf was here we've been stumbling through the forest for a week because he ditched us why the f*** did you not say something about Gandalf sooner (laughs) Like, how do you just forget that a wizard came to your bar? If the people at the bar are excited by the arrival of Frodo and Sam and like hobbits from Hobbiton who the like the elves say that they think the hobbits are a little bit dull. The people in the pub or whatever are excited by those hobbits. Then then how do you like a wizard must have been so exciting. So how do you just forget that Gandalf came to your bar, like let alone talk to you and let alone that we find out again, a couple sentences later. Let me, let me just read this. <clears throat> ah, yes. Old Gandalf. Three months back, he walked right into my room without a knock. Barley, he says, I'm off in the morning. Will you do something for me? You've only to name it, I said. I'm in a hurry, said he, and I've no time myself, but I want a message took to the Shire. Have you anyone you can send and trust to go? I can find someone, I said. Tomorrow, maybe. Or the day after, make it tomorrow, he says. And then he gave me a letter. It is addressed plain enough, said Mr. Butterbur. Then it's addressed, he gives the envelope and it says, Mr. Frodo Baggins, Baggins, Hobbiton in the Shire. A letter for me from Gandalf, cried Frodo. Ah, then your name, then your right name is Baggins? It is, said Frodo. And you had better give me that letter once and explain why you never sent it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just, oh man, I, like there was a note, there was a note that explained 
all of this nonsense for why... And, like, one of my main points that I've been griping on up until now is that Gandalf left us with zero information, and then he has completely failed to show up and help the hobbits, and they just don't know what's going on. Where are you, Gandalf? Well, we find out. <laughs> yes, this ever-important letter oh that go- that tells you exactly... Well, kind yeah, of it, where yeah, he went. it's like this explains and what to do next. <laughs> this like this single letter would have made everything so much easier. So I'm just going to read the letter. Dear Frodo, bad news has reached me here. I must go off at once. You had better leave Bag End soon and get out of the Shire before the end of July at the latest. They left in bloody September and they were supposed to have left in July. Like they waited until Frodo's birthday in September. And yes, an extra two months. Yes. Oh my gosh. So first of all, that's like problem number one. I will return as soon as I can and I will follow you if I find that you are gone. Leave a message for me here if you pass through Bree. You can trust the landlord Butterbur. Can we? Can we trust him? You may meet a friend of mine on the road. A man, lean, dark, tall, by some called Strider. He knows our business and will help you. Make for Rivendell. There I hope we may meet again. If I do not come, Elrond will advise you. Yours in haste, Gandalf. We know that Strider was kind of already knew, kind of knew to be expecting Frodo at some point or the hobbits. Then it says, P.S. Do not use it again. Not for any reason whatever. Do not travel by night. Which, another point. They have, Frodo has used the ring and they have, well, I don't think they've traveled by now. I think a couple times they were able to like stay in shelter, but those first couple of nights on the road before they meet Farmer Maggot, like they're just kind of out in the open at night. They've just traveled by all time. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So once again, this would have been helpful information several months ago. PPS, make sure that it is the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. So this is Aragorn and the best poem ever. So uh, first of all, I've heard the name Aragorn several times. So I'm happy that this like random dude named Strider actually turned out to be a major character because he seems cool and I'm excited to see him throughout the rest of these books. And I know that he's an important part here. So I'm excited for that. Then here is, I think, one of the most famous lines at least comes from this next Eh. section. Yeah. All that is glitter. Oh, I already messed it up. Good job. (laughs) I used to always think it was all that is glitter. Gosh. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes, a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. And of course, that famous line, not all those who wander are lost, which I feel like I have seen on so many, like, as a sticker on the back of, like, Jeeps that usually have a... This is not for your hipster road trip. (laughs) This is about a Lord of the Rings character. Yeah. And yeah. And so I knew ahead of time, I don't know how, I don't know how many years ago I learned that, like, the quote, not all those who wander are lost doesn't actually like it's it's in a different it's the source that it comes from it's used kind of in a different context and the context here basically is saying like appearances can be deceiving and things aren't always as they seem so be careful going forward which is what he's commenting on on strider slash aragorn saying that like make sure you find the real Strider because you could come into contact with someone who is just pretending. Well, it's also the entire poem is about Aragorn. Yeah. It's about like just who he is as a person, what his story is, what his background is. Because he is like a Strider. He's a ranger. So I think it's also partly of like the rangers. That's what they do. They're wanderers, but they're not lost. They're explorers. They go from all over the land. Okay, cool. It also has some literal meaning too. Yeah. Because just how it is like that in that next line, he's like, well, it goes with the name and the name is me. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that Aragorn has his own, um, yeah, poem, basically. <laughs> I wish we he all- gets his own I wish poem. we all had I'm... poems to go with our names. That would be fun. Basically has like his own- Like his own theme music, yeah, but cool. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and then finally- 
PPPS, which is post, post, post script. I hope Butterbur sends this promptly. A worthy man, but his memory is like a lumber room. Things wanted, always buried. If he forgets, I shall roast him. Farewell. And now, welcome to yep. the Comedy Central roasting of Butterbur. <laughs> Just kidding. If I see, here's the thing. If I a was able to like prepare for this more in advance, and b was like funnier and smarter and wittier, I a hundred like what I really wanted to do right now is like read a bunch of pe- roasts that people had for Butterbur, and I asked for them on social media. A couple of people submitted jokes about like, oh yeah, I'd roast him with garlic, salt, pepper. So <laughs> if you have a good roast for Butterbur, go to Tolkien about pop on Twitter and Instagram and I want to hear it because I mean I know that like Gandalf meant like roast in terms of like I will burn him or I will I'm cook gonna kill him. him I'm gonna kill him but I just think it's funnier if we took it in the in the sense of like what roasting means today in the sense that like you basically just rag yeah just rag on and you know make mean jokes about someone else at the expense of someone else for comedy's sake so if you have good roasts I want to hear him. Man, oh man. So that letter reveals so much information that would have been so helpful several months ago. But there's no going back. This is when they're like, okay, so we are supposed to trust you. Cool. So Pippin makes the comment that like, oh yeah, you don't kind of look how I would expect you, but I guess I dare say we shall all look much the same after lying for days in hedges and ditches. And Aragorn is basically like, yeah, right. You wish. No child. And it's like, no, you're not going to look like me. No, you would die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But- Literally, he says it. You'd die. Yeah. It would take more than a few days or weeks or years of wandering in the wild to make you look like Strider. And you would die first, unless you are made of sterner stuff than you look to be. Ooh, burn. Um, which like, is Let's true. see. Of the four of you, uh, die die. Eh, you could maybe last. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, And then this is my next question. So, because they delayed their journey basically two months, has Aragorn just been, like, sitting around waiting for the hobbits to show up? I think he explains that later on in the... I thought it was in this Maybe chapter, it was. And I... That, like, he had been watching the road because... But he always expected Gandalf to be with them, and he had never received information from Gandalf. Yeah. Otherwise, so he's just yeah, kind of been like, he's, I'm going to yeah. stay in the area and just keep my eyes and ears open. Yeah, because the hobbits ask, oh, have you heard from Gandalf? And he's like, no, which is a little concerning. Because, yeah, we don't know where Gandalf, you know, we don't know what happened to Gandalf that made him make these changes in the plans and write this note. All we know is, let's see, he just says... Bad news has reached me here. I must go off at once. So that's all we know. And then we have not heard or seen from Gandalf since, basically. So fingers crossed. So they're like, all right, clearly we can trust you. Awesome. Great. And then at this moment, Mary comes in and is like, surprise, surprise, by the way, I've seen the Black Riders, (laughs) which isn't before. So before uh, Mary, like, separated with them in Chapter 9, Either one of the hobbits or Tolkien makes the note to say, like, oh, just remember that, like, it's safer indoors, which is I'm starting to pick on the pick up on those little comments about, like, safety or taking precautions or something, because usually it means that, like, oh, if he's pointing out that something that it's safer indoors, it means something bad is going to happen outside. And that's exactly what happens. And also, given that we haven't seen the Black Riders in several chapters now, here they found them again, basically, which... They're back! Also, isn't... Yeah, it's not a surprise because of how how obvious and loud and conspicuous they were being when they were in the bar and Pippin's telling the story of Bilbo Baggins and Frodo is using the ring and they're just doing basically everything to say like, look, here we are, come get us. Yeah, a giant beacon. Yeah, essentially. Like the Batman, like, summoning sim- symbol, except oh. you don't want it on. A hundred percent. Yeah, they, like, accidentally, like, turn on, like, a spotlight and it's in the shape of a ring. Or it's in the shape yeah. of, like, Frodo, it has, like, Frodo's face on it, basically. So Mary says, yeah, I saw the Black Rider and they were very creepy. And this is where 
I once again see where people come from when they're like, oh, J.K. Rowling copied a lot of things from Harry Potter because the description of the Black Riders and what Mary felt and experienced sounds very similar to when you read about the Dementors um, and what they do to you and the effect they have on people. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this is where she like was inspired for the Dementors. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so it says, I was standing just outside the light of the lamp looking at the stars. Suddenly I shivered and felt that something horrible was creeping near. There was a sort of deeper shade among the shadows across the road, just beyond the edge of the lamplight. It slid away at once into the dark without a sound. And so Mary follows him, which Strider is like, that was brave, but also very dumb. He has, yeah, Mary is also has his own moments of Hobbit idiocy. He's yeah, like, nah, but, I'm gonna follow this creepy thing that I have, I can't see. Yeah, yeah, and actually, there, I believe there's a line in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when they're fighting the troll, and it says something like, Harry then did something very brave and very stupid. <laughs> That's exactly, he follows it and says... <laughs> I, like, I don't know what came over me. I was in some kind of thing. It says, I seemed to be drawn somehow. Anyway, I went and suddenly I heard voices by the hedge. One was muttering and the other was whispering or hissing. I couldn't hear a word that was said. I did not creep any closer because I began to tremble all over. Then I felt terrified. And he's like, I don't know what happened. This was terrifying. I don't know what came over me. And Strider says, I do. The black breath. The riders must have left their horses outside. Oh, but yeah. So it's called, so this effect, this evil thing or whatever is called the black breath, which yeah, once again, knocked Mary out. <laughs> the black breath, the Dementor's kiss. Hmm. And that's when they're like, they're here. They're probably going to come here because there are very obvious rooms made especially for hobbits. <laughs> They describe the doors of the room saying that like they're close to the ground and there's just not a lot of defense there. So they say, you guys are going to stay here. We're going to go stuff the beds with things that look like you and try and trick them. And then we're going to, we're going to fortify this bar and we're going to lock it up and we're going to hope for the best. All right. Good night. Well, Strider does say like he doesn't think they'll attack the inn. They're not all here yet. And in any case, that is not their way. In dark and loneliness, they are stronger. They will not openly attack a house where there are lights in many people. Not until they are desperate. So he, like Strider doesn't think they'll come in. He's just also wanting to take precautions of, yeah, yeah stay with me where I can protect you with my sword and my <laughs> ability. Like how I am so much probably stronger and better equipped to fight them than you. Oh, he's just in case. But this is also not their way. Just like the way that the Black Riders are, they're not going to just like burst into a building where there's a lot of people and light. Yeah. <laughs> there's the whole reason of it's like, don't travel at night. It's like, they like the dark and the yeah. loneliness and yeah. the creepy. It's part of their aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the aesthetic. <laughs> and I Which Strider also likes. <laughs> That dark aesthetic. Yeah, the th the dark green cloak with the thigh-high leather boots. Mm, I can get into that look. <laughs> so, but what I don't what's kind of I don't know concerning or worrying to me is that note that he says that like they would only attack us here if they were desperate, and I wonder like are they desperate enough now? Because they've been following the hobbits now for honestly, from the time that they left that Frodo, Sam and Pippin left Hobbiton to now, I don't realistically know like how many days have passed. I'm assuming like a week or so, but like the dark riders have been following them for a while now. I mean, think about like, think about it from the perspective of like, if you were like a Sauron in this case, and you're sending the Dark Riders out to get Frodo and the ring, it would be like an easy assignment because it's like, it's hobbits. They're not gonna be able to do anything. Hey, it's Mary Clay from the future because my audio had some issues at this point. But the point I was trying to make here is that the Dark Riders have to be frustrated that they haven't gotten the hobbits yet or Frodo or the ring because it's like they're evil creatures going up against four little hobbits who can barely walk through a forest without getting distracted by clouds. So my thinking here is that maybe they are desperate enough and they would attack the Prancing Pony because they're so frustrated for something that should have been very easy, but for some reason these toddlers have evaded the evil 
dark riders for this long and it shouldn't have happened. All right, back to the pod. Yeah, so my concern here would be that they are desperate enough and that they are going to attack. And honestly, I would prefer for that to happen because at least something would be happening, you know? Like, I feel like there needs to be some more action going on to kind of, like, things need to get rolling here. It's It's page 175 and we're still in the forking Shire. Or are we in the Shire? I don't know. Is this, so is... Is Breland in the Shire? That's what I've been a little unclear of. I want to say it's on like, it's like a major city of where a lot of like the counties end. Okay. So it's, it's like just outside of the Shire then? Yeah. Okay. So it's like like Hobbiton, Shire, Old Forest, Barrow Downs, Bree. Okay. But it's so small in comparing to all of Middle Earth. Man, oh man, that's what's insane when you like zoom, when you do like look up a an actual like map online and you zoom out and you're like, this is huge, <laughs> which once again, I can't wait to see more of that eventually. <laughs> I feel like things are finally happening, especially with the introduction of Aragorn. And now we know that he's going to be joining the gang. I'm, I'm just ready for things to get rolling. Well, we've added a fifth to the party. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Aragorn has joined your party. Achievement trophy unlocked, basically. Well, that is the end of chapter nine and 10. That was so much, so much happened. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on to chat about all of these chapters and all of these insane, frustrating things. Uh, Where can people find you on the internet if you want people to find you on the internet? So I am mostly on my Instagram, uh, Books of Kings. It's a bookstagram, which is just a community of people that like to take pictures of books and talk about new releases and old releases. I know there's even people that they have like Middle Earth March. Oh, that's fun. Maybe I'll take part in that. That's What I'm Talking About is a production of Bacon and Eggs. You can learn more about Bacon and Eggs at baconandeggs.media. We also, uh, I recorded a very special episode on Bacon and Eggs, a brunch episode with Ethan and Tyler and Mike Schubert from Potterless. And we read the infamous Harry Potter fan fiction, My Immortal, and just... Go listen to that episode. But at the time of, uh, by the time this episode comes out, that should, that episode should also be out. So go to Bacon and Eggs to listen to that because it's hilarious. You can find, uh, you can find me on Twitter at mcwatt416. You can find me on Instagram at mcturndownforwatt. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at talkingaboutpod. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. Uh, you can support him. Please go support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. He does awesome work. And make sure you go follow Sydney also on Instagram. I think, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share? That poem is awesome. That poem is awesome. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.